Hey, uh, we're in the last week of our series called I Heart Summer. Uh, don't worry, summer's not ending. If you're like me, you feel it slipping away and you're freaking out. But uh, it's just the end of our series and uh, excited to jump in. You know, we uh, looked at a bunch of different scriptures and a bunch of different topics, but a couple of the things that really stuck out to us was that, um, you know, the scripture says a lot about our heart. Uh, it actually says more about watching our heart, guarding our heart, protecting our heart. Uh, then it mentions even prayer or, or things like faith uh, because it's so important important for us to guard. Uh, We read a passage to you that says, guard your heart above all else. Above all else, your life flows from it, you know? And so it's like beyond defense. The the word we looked at was disallow the wrong things to get into your heart because it can really mess up the way that you're going. And so we've been looking at all these different heart matters. And so if you missed any of those, you can go back and watch them online. I encourage you to do that. Uh, You can, of course, go back during the week and uh, keep up that way as well. Uh, Just like those of you watching on Facebook, maybe you're away and you're keeping up with us online. So glad that you joined us today. want to let you know that you can use the chat section. You can uh, help me preach the sermon today. Uh, You can also share this page, get it out to as many friends uh, as you would like, and uh, we appreciate you being with us online as well. Today, before we jump into the sermon, I just want to tell you up front, it's probably going to be a little bit longer sermon than normal. Uh, I just have so much to cover, and so to kind of do it in a short, I could actually do a whole series. I could I could really give you a whole class uh, on this topic, but I've done my best to go with what the Lord has told me, and um, it's going to be just a touch longer than normal, uh, but it's so important for us to look at these truths. And so this week, we're going to wrap up the series, and we're going to wrap it up uh, with the title of a sermon called A Heart for Life. Uh, how many you know God has a heart for life and, and to see his creation uh, move and operate in the things that uh, he's designed for them. Amen? Amen. You as Christians, me as a Christian, we are living in an unbelievably historic time. Uh, all of the different things that we're seeing and we're facing, uh, you, you could look at it and be very overwhelmed. You could say, oh my gosh, I can't believe I got the short end of the stick. I can't believe I'm living in this time and in this generation. But the reality is you were born for such a time yeah. as this. God knew that you'd be here in this moment, and he's called you and equipped you to be a part of the answer to what this world yeah. needs. Can I get an amen? Yeah. And the reality is church is not a social club. Yeah. You're not here because you have similar interests as somebody else. You're a part of a church because it's the body of Christ, and yeah. it's a body of in Christ that's empowered by the Holy Spirit to see people set free and destroy the works of darkness. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Yeah. And so sometimes we got we to gotta tell the Big truths. We got, we got to say the, 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 the hard things. And, and the reality is, uh, I say this all the time, true love, yeah. true, true love tells the truth at the deepest level. True love at the deepest level tells the truth. I mean, if you really love somebody, no matter how much it's going to cost, you're going to step out and you're going to tell them the truth to try to help them. Are you with me? I mean, even our little kids, you know, our little kids are going toward the electrical socket and you got to jump out them and say, no, you can't do that. And then they get mad at you. You know, I got my, my little one. She's four. And, um, and I'm, I'm, we're in the season right now where I correct her. And, and she throws a fit at me. I'll correct and say, no, honey, you can't do it. She puts her lip up. She walks away. And she even says this. I'm not kidding. It's, she's in this phase right now where she says, you're not my best friend anymore. Like, well, it's my job to tell you the truth, honey. You know, I don't get too offended because everybody's her best friend. You know, but, but uh, we, we live in a time and an hour where the church has got to be able to tell the truth. Yeah. We, I'm so grateful that we have God's word and his absolute truth in our way that we can look back at and say, this is what God says. Amen. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we know that he's life. Amen. Amen. So before we jump in, let's uh, pray and ask God to speak to us. God, we love you so much. We're so grateful for this day. Lord, we know this is a day that you have made. God, we know that every person that's in this room and every person that's listening, uh, however they may be listening, God, we know that you've appointed them this time to hear these words. So God, I pray that you help us receive these words, not resist these words, but receive your truths today. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a story of this ancient city, and of course, there's no technology at that time. They don't have high-tech security cameras. They don't have the ability to surveillance a city with drones, and uh, their armed guards, you know, obviously don't have the weapon technology that we may see now. They don't have radio systems and communications, and so the way that they kept these the city uh, secure was they would build a wall and they would set somebody out on the wall that they would call the watchman on the wall. The watchman on the wall's job was to be able to look ahead out into the terrain and see if there was any, any kind of danger, any sort of threat along the way. So this one watchman on the wall, he's sitting there and he's looking back at the people behind him and he's going, uh, hey, look at everybody back here having a good time. 
they're living in their conveniences, they're having such a wonderful time, they're, they're going about their life and they have entertainment, they have all these things coming going. But then he looks ahead and he sees, oh no, there might be potential danger on the way. And I'm called to be the watchman on the wall, but if I look back and I tell everybody that they need to stop what they're doing, they need to surrender their lifestyles, they, they need to maybe be inconvenienced for a minute, if I do that, I'm not gonna be popular. If I look back and tell them the truth about the threat that's on the horizon that's coming to destroy us, they're going to be annoyed with me because it's going to shut down commerce and it's probably going to ruin relationships. And so he decided to say nothing. The watchman on the wall decided to do nothing. And the story goes on to say that the threat became a real threat. It made it to the city. It destroyed the city. And after the city was in ruin, they erected a statue there that said this, here stood a town that was destroyed by silence. By silence. It wasn't destroyed or overpowered by a strong enemy. It was destroyed by the fact that somebody didn't take the time to say something. I believe this if America is going to be destroyed, it's going to be destroyed by the silence of pulpits. Pastors unwilling to get up and tell the truth because they're worried they might lose some people. Are you with me? Uh, if America is going to be destroyed, it's going to be destroyed by some Christians who are unwilling to say some things when it's time to say some things. Take some stands when it's time to take some stands. Can I get an amen? amen. There are so many unqualified pastors and pulpits right now that I wish the Lord would just come and swoop them all up and, and send them up. If he's got one of them fiery furnace tornado things that took up, he can go get one of those. Are you, we, got, and we got college football coaches taking more of a stand for the unborn than we do most churches. Thank God for Harbaugh. Notice that was a Michigan man, not us. <laughs> Pastors don't want to say anything because we might offend somebody. We, we, we might lose some members. What they mean to say is they might lose some money. They might lose some Facebook followers. Well, no, you know, we just, we don't want to ruffle feathers. We don't want to do anything. It's like, are you kidding me? Could you imagine if these pastors walk around with Paul and Timothy? Here's Paul and Timothy. Here's the apostles. Here's the disciples. They're walking around. Hey, what's the agenda today? Okay, we got to go down to there. Oh yeah, down to there. You mean the place where they're burning Christians at the stakes at their party? Nero is lighting his garden parties with Christians that they're burning. Because the intense persecution that Christians are facing for standing up for truth. Yeah. And we don't want to preach them from our pulpit because we might get unfollowed on Facebook. Yeah. Let's wake up. Are you with me today? I, I know none of you are pastors. Like, I'm preaching to you like it's your problem. <laughs> a couple years ago, 2019, we had a right to life uh, lady, sweet, unbelievable lady, came to the church and she said, Pastor, uh, there's a partial birth abortion uh, law and legislation and all this stuff is getting put in place for the Dismemberment Abortion Act. Uh, we need signatures. We need people that are willing to stand up and, and sign these petitions. Would your church be willing to gather signatures and send them to Lansing? And we said, of course, yeah, let's jump in. And she said, what? She was confused that our response was, yeah, we'll do that. Yeah, we'll do that. We'll put it together. And so I preached a whole sermon on it and we put it all together and we took signature. We signed things and sent them into Lansing. I said, why are you so surprised by that? She said, well, I've been going around doing this for months, trying to get months, trying to get people to gather signatures. And the only people that would do it would be businesses, not churches. Churches unwilling to stand up for the unborn and take a stand and share the truth and talk about what the Bible says about defending life. But business people are willing to do it. How many know we need to see a change? Amen. Amen. I wrote it down like this. We weren't born to say easy things. We were born to say difficult things with Christ's perfect love. You're not called to tell the truth by finger pointing and being sarcastic and sharing memes on social media. That's not telling the truth. Can I get amen today? We're called to do it with love. I wrote it down like this. When we take a stand, we may pay a price, but we will also harvest a reward. When we say the right things and we proclaim God's truth, I believe it sets captives free, though it may cost us something. Proverbs 29, 25 in the message version says this, says the fear of human opinion disables, but trusting in God protects you from that. Many people, the reason they don't want to tell the truth is because they don't have enough trust in God. They're, they're too shallow. They're not deep enough in their trust with the Lord. So they have more worry about the opinion of humans than they do what God has to say. Are you with me? Yeah. But we receive harvest. God protects us from that. He protects us from that. And so we don't bow. We don't cave to human opinion. I, uh, I remember a couple years ago, I, I preached a, kind of another controversial sermon. I, I, I'm somebody who, who loves to tell the truth. I don't really shy back from 
from telling you know the truth and speaking with boldness, but obviously it puts me in, in an uncomfortable situation as a leader only because I know that there's going to be fallout in a room like this. You know, there's a lot of people who either right now are are like, oh, I already disagree with this guy, or or you're saying, oh, I don't like where this guy's going. He shouldn't be talking about that. So I realize in a room of this size, especially with many watching online, uh, I, I realize I'm sort of up against some numbers. But here's what I would ask of you. Many of us, it's okay to disagree. I believe dialogue is important. I think dialogue is actually how we go forward. And so here's what I want to say to you. My email is right on our website. You can email me directly anytime. And so here's what I would say to you. If I say anything here that you might not disagree with or or you might disagree with or, or it upsets you in any way, will you please do the Matthew 18 thing and just come to me and let us have a conversation about it? I'm not going to try to control you or manipulate you or, or anything like that, but I think it's fair, especially if you call this your church home. I think it's fair for you to have a conversation when someone has offended you or upset you. Yeah. Matthew chapter 18 says, if anyone sinned against you, if anybody's caused you an offense, if anybody's done this, what does it say? It says, go to that person. Yeah. It doesn't say go to all the other people and start talking about it to other people. It says, go to that person. I think it's a high sign of spiritual immaturity when somebody has a problem with somebody and they go talk to other people about it and not the person. I think it's another high level of immaturity when you send your wives to go. Are you with me? (laughs) Men, you got something to say? Come talk to me about it. Don't send your wife to do it. (laughs) Amen. Amen. And uh, and so let's handle it the way that Bible has called us to do it. And so for real, I want to have dialogue. I want to have conversation. My email is available to you. I've scheduled time this week specifically made room to be able to hang out and connect and have conversation because I think it's important. Can I get amen? But I think we first start talking about this Roe versus Wade being overturned. Uh, When we first begin to talk about protecting the unborn, I think you have to first start with one understanding to settle it in your heart and be able to even come with what's going on here. You first have to settle this belief of, do you believe in evil? Uh, Do you believe in evil? And I'm not trying to call anyone who's had an abortion evil. I'm not trying to go with that. But what I'm saying is uh, the scripture says that there are spiritual forces. There's There's a heavenly battle. If we could peel back the heavenly realms, you would see a good versus evil in this cosmic battle. And that has been since Satan fell from heaven. You've been in this constant battle of good versus evil. How many agree? Some might say, well, you know, I don't really agree with that. I could get you to agree with it pretty quickly if I simply just put up some news headlines. I would say, hey, not, just from this week, not even over history, you could look at the Holocaust and all these other things, but I'm saying I could just pick things this week and say, that's not just some bad people making bad decisions. That's evil yeah. in play. Yeah. You could say, oh, I don't really believe in evil. That's a bunch of weird things. Okay, well, if I took you, maybe your kids or maybe someone that you loved, and I said, hey, come with me. We're going to take your young kids and we're going to go over to this house. It's a satanic house. They believe in worshiping Satan and there's been sacrifices there and all the paraphernalia is around. Everybody's in there playing their music and they're doing their chants. I say, why don't you just hang out down there and just have a good time? You say, I'm not going in there. Because to some degree, everybody can discern a level of evil in its presence. Most of us have all walked into an atmosphere and been like, wait a second, something's off in here. Because whether you biblically believe in evil or not, evil is a thing. Can I get an amen? And I believe that this evil comes from the fact that there is a devil, there is a Satan, he hates you. The scripture says that his intentions are to steal, kill, and destroy you. He wants to steal your good thinking. He wants to steal your moral compass. He wants to steal from your life. He also wants to destroy your life. He wants it all to be in ruin. He wants the family household. He wants all of these things to be in destroy. And I believe he also wants to literally kill He wants to end human life. And so he's in operation doing that right now. He's moving in environments where he's he's still kill and destroy. And one of the ways that he does that is he can get us to be deceived. And we call evil things good and good things evil. Isaiah chapter five, verse 20 says it this way. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. We are living in a time where you're being sold evil for good. No, this is good. And this is a good cause. And this is for a good thing. It's a manipulation that comes from what I believe is the enemy and evil. Second Timothy chapter three, verse one begins to talk about what our end times are going to look at. And I believe we're in these end times. Mark chapter three, verse one says this, but mark this. Basically, bet on it. Be ready for it. There will be terrible times in the last days. 
no matter what side of the political side or Christian side or whatever you're on, all of us agree we're living in some pretty terrible times. The things we're seeing when it comes to gun violence and the things that we're seeing in broken homes and absentee fathers and all of the different things, we're living in pretty terrible times. Verse 2, it says, people will be lovers of themselves. They'll be lovers of money. They're going to try to win that $1.1 billion on that lotto, all you sinners in here. The awkward laugh. (laughs) I saw you. I saw you guys there. You were holding up my line. I was trying to get my ticket. Says you'll be boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Then it says having a form of godliness, but denying the power have nothing to do with such people. Now, when it says had nothing to do with such people, it doesn't mean we reject all sinners. It means you don't build your life around these kind of people. We still love and reach and go after kind of people that are walking in this, but we don't build our life around it. Why am I bringing up this? It's pretty easy to see all of these selfish, evil uh, lifestyles are in play right now. But I think it's so amazing that the scripture got tacked on the end that said they're going to have a form of godliness, but deny the power. Denying the powers is surrendering your life to God's power in your life, his transforming power. Isn't it amazing how so many of these big major topics that we're seeing when people are calling evil things good, they're putting cute little scriptures on them, Mm -hmm. forms of godliness, Mm -hmm. but they're denying the true transformation. How many know what I'm talking about? This is the time that we're living in. I remember just a few years ago in New York, New York passed the legislation where you could perform an abortion all the way up until birth. And there was an ovation. It looked like a stadium when they passed it. People jumped out of their chairs and paper went flying everywhere to a cheer. And the New York Times did a headline that said, it was the shouts heard round the world. Such celebration of the ability to end a baby's life all the way up into birth. I remember at that same time, the Virginia governor was working on and having conversation with people to see if it was possible of what the time frame could be to perform an abortion post-birth. These were conversations that were having been made by our leader. We also know that in Illinois, there was a time when in an Illinois hospital, they once created a comfort room for babies who had botched abortions or failed abortions and were delivered alive. They would put them in this comfort room so that they could, quote, die in peace. The label on these rooms were remains of baby, yet we're being told these aren't lives. There was this place where they could do this. We, I don't mean to get intense and I don't mean to get overwhelming. And we're going to talk about some love and grace and compassion and some comfort. But we got to talk about the reality right. and the truth of it. Right. Evil is at yeah. work and has an agenda. Amen. Abby Johnson in 2009, she was the Planned Parenthood employee of the year. At her place in life, she believed she was doing a good thing. Uh, She was deceived with counterfeit compassion. She thought she was doing a good thing, and uh, it was counterfeit compassion. And so she's going through, and and she's living her life. And she remembered at one point she was constantly trained. Abortion should be safe, legal, and rare. Keyword rare. Safe, legal, and rare. Now, as the employee of the year, she's sitting in a meeting, and they said, hey, it's very important this year that we set this budget and we have a budget for this. We want to double our budget and we want to double our quota for abortions performed in Planned Parenthood. If it's meant to be safe, legal, and rare, why would you set an agenda to double the quota? It's because evil never stops. Its desire is to always steal, kill, and destroy. How many are with me? So her eyes were open, and thankfully she gave her heart to the Lord, and she's done an amazing job. You should look her up now, defending pro-life, and, and, and God has used her in, in many amazing ways. But what's the point behind all of this? The point behind it is that we are created in God's image. Amen. Life is made in the image of God, and Satan has always been attacking the yeah. image of God. Amen. From day one, he's always said, hey, has God really? Yeah. We're made in the image of God. Look at the garden. You're in Genesis. God creates everything, calls it good. He creates Adam and Eve, and he's so happy with his creation made in the image of God. And Satan comes in and begins to say, has God really? Yeah. And starts bending the, the agendas and the thoughts and the truths and begins to weave this. and do that. He starts to what? Attack the creation and the image yeah. of God. Yeah. That's still the plan now is for him to wipe out the image of God. Now, listen, it falls into categories so much more than abortion. Uh, You see right now there is a huge push for Satan, our accuser of the brethren, who's out to steal, kill, and destroy. His mission right now is to devalue human life. 
Abortion is the beginning. Right now, there is a push, right? There is a push. We're seeing millions of babies aborted a year. There was more babies aborted than those that died of COVID, and COVID shut down the whole world. And, and we've seen more aborted. But there is an agenda right now to devalue human life. And let me just take you through the pattern right now. We see abortion is ending the life of an unborn. But then you see as young people are growing up right now, they're growing up with such devaluing cultures in their life. I'm talking about their music. The music they continue to hear. The scripture says that life and death is in the power of the tongue. And like what you speak is what you have. And when these kids continue to sing these aggressive language, aggressive, 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 it, it, it just continues to get in a mindset of devalue a person. The way that certain artists talk about women and certain artists talk about uh, gun violence. And you can't put it this. And I know they say it's just art. But we know how humans were created by God. You're not designed to be able to intake those words and not have them affect you. Can I get an amen? The movies are constantly violent and the horror movies are getting more graphic and more intense as technology advances. So our young people are becoming numb to the violence. It's doing what? Dehumanizing our walk, their music, their video games, the movies. I say theirs. It's all of ours. We're all participating. Now, don't put me up here as the old man who's saying like, you can only listen to hymns. You know, I'm not, I think there is a balance. I think you need to put guardrails to your intake. Amen. Yeah. Should be about 99% worship music and 1% country. That's what you're allowed to listen to. <laughs> Amen. I'm from Borculo. Amen. But we see it, we see it in music. They get on this pattern of music and violence and videos and all this kind of stuff. And, 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 and all of this is glorified. You go on YouTube and Twitter and TikTok and all these social media platforms and violence and aggression is glorified. You then see the horrible pandemic that we're seeing through uh, pornography. You see that there is such a devaluing and consumption of women. And it's destroying lives. The more that we devalue by consuming porn, all it does is fuel the sex trafficking industry, which, by the way, our government just released data that there are 25.1 million people right now in sex trafficking slavery. Today, as you're here freely worshiping, 25.1 million people are essentially stolen and kept in slavery and sex trafficking right now. And, you know, that number is actually on the rise. You know, you hear all these little agendas of, oh, we're going to end this and end that. It's actually continuing to spike. Why? Because we're training ourselves to continue to devalue humans. Uh, I won't name names, but there are some uh, prominent uh, government officials who worked really hard in the San Francisco area to try to get prostitution legalized. Uh, They said, hey, uh, you know, these pimps and uh, these women on the corners. And of course, they use really intelligent terminology. They said, oh, the sex industry and the ecosystem around sex workers, what they mean is pimps and hoes. <laughs> uh, but they put all this intelligent, slick wording on it, and they try to say, oh, well, this and that. And they say, wouldn't it, wouldn't it, this is the false, this is the counterfeit compassion, okay? They say, wouldn't it be smart? Wouldn't it be smart if we just created a place where they could go and be safe and get tested, and they could perform their work, and they could do their thing? And, and, and wouldn't that just be smart and safe? And we say, oh, yeah, that does make sense. We, that's counterfeit compassion. Yeah. Because what it's going to do is it's going to cause men who wants appetite for porn, they can now go to the grocery store, they can now go get the oil changed in the truck, and now they can go over and devalue a woman legally. Yeah. What are we doing? Another stage where we continue to devalue. Do that Sweden and Switzerland area. Right now, they're working as hard as they possibly can to get it legalized, to have suicide chambers legalized. You go through a process where you want to end your life, and after you go through a little bit of a process, you've then been qualified to get into this chamber, which looks like a tanning bed. You push the button, and you end your own human life. This is what we're pushing. And then we don't understand why everybody treats each other so poorly and we've continued to dehumanize each other because we continue to put these things in place. There's also a Supreme Court battle right now uh, over a discussion about trying to give power of attorney and give the ability for some people to make a decision to euthanize the elderly. You make the decision that it's time for your elderly loved one to pass away and you can make the decision to euthanize them. We are, I, just, I just gave you a, a pattern of dehumanizing on every single level in every single category, yeah. and then we can't understand why kids go into elementary schools and shoot. Yeah. Because they're desensitized. They're dehuman. Everything we do is that human life doesn't matter that much. Yeah. Are you with me today? Yeah. Uh, I put it down like this. You know, a federal agent, when they're teaching you to spot counterfeit money, what they do is they don't put a bunch of fake money in front of you. Instead, what they do is they go out and they put just the real thing in front of you. 
We don't want you to study all the other kind of counterfeit money. If you know what the real thing is, you'll be able to spot the fake things. If you know the real thing, you'll be able to spot the counterfeit truth. How many know what I'm talking about? If we know God's word and we know his truth and we know his ways and we know what's absolute, it's going to be easy to spot the counterfeit. Amen. And so that's what we need to be, a people of truth. Uh, I believe that we're being sold, I've said it multiple times, counterfeit compassion. Say, oh, Abortion is mercy on those kids that are going to grow up in extreme poverty. We, we should terminate those lives because they're going to grow up on such a broken road and it would be better if they were never born. How I many know? That's counterfeit compassion. If we applied that logic to other forms of suffering, I've been to Africa. I've spent weeks in the most poverty places in Africa, literally where the kids slept on floors and, and had mud huts and extreme heat. And they were you know, dirty. As they followed us, they had fly bites on their lips and all along their ears. And we would never say, oh, let's have mercy on those young people in Africa living in poverty. Maybe we should all just go over there and terminate their life. Yeah. It would be insane if anybody tried to put that together. But why do we do that to the unborn? How many are with me? It's so important for us to defend. Uh, Many people say it's about women's health care. And I do believe, of course, in women's health care. And, of course, I believe in supporting women. As a pastor in this church, I'm one of the most pro-women in ministry and in life pastors. I I actually take controversial risk, and I believe women can preach. Can I get an amen? I believe if God used women to declare the gospel at the grave, it was women who first seen the resurrection of Jesus. If they were good enough to share the gospel then, they're good enough to share it now. Can I get an amen? And so you have a very pro-women pastor, and, and I love my wife. Can I get an Amen. Uh, and so, and, and so people say, oh, it's a women's health care issue. I stand with them. I support women. We do all that we can, but I'm also a dad. And I also know when my wife became pregnant, it became about her health, but it also became about somebody else's health. And that was that baby growing on the inside. So there were certain changes we had to make in our life. There were certain things Jess had to do different because she was worried about the care of the other thing that she was carrying. And there was prenatal vitamins. There was all these other things she needed to do. And she told me she needed three spicy chicken sandwiches a day from Wendy's for a little while there. All these things she had to do to care for that baby. The other thing that I know about that life is that it's a life. It's about mom's health care, but it's also about that baby's health care because that baby is a, is, a, is a human being. You want to know how I know that? Because when that baby came out, that baby knew its mom. We took that baby and we give it to mom and she holds it. And that baby knows its mom. Why? Because that baby has feelings and emotions and it knows. Are you with me today? That baby is a life. Uh, I hate the logic that says, uh, well, we just don't know when life begins. We just don't know. So let's just, let's just keep doing this. We don't know. And so let's just keep doing this. What if we applied that we just don't know logic? Yeah, you know, I feel like maybe at that last stop over there, my brakes went out. Um, I'm not really sure if they did or not. I'm just going to get on the highway anyway. That would be insane logic, right? Uh, we like to shoot at our shooting range and we got targets. And, and, uh, and so the kids run around in the woods and, and we got our shooting targets out there in the woods. If all of a sudden we were like, hey, are the kids running around? Are they maybe behind the targets? Well, we don't know. Let's just shoot anyway. It's insane logic. How many know what I'm talking about? And we have pretty insane logic in America when we say if a person gets behind the wheel and they're drunk and they blow through a stop sign and they hit a woman who's carrying a baby and they kill that baby, that's manslaughter. You go to jail for that. But the very next day, a mom could actually walk in and decide to end that life with no issue whatsoever. It's insane logic. Can I get an amen today? Abortion, I believe, is an attack on God's creation. But I don't want to go any further in this sermon without acknowledging the fact that I realize that this sermon affects people in so many different ways. Uh, Statistically, over 50% of people in this room and listening online have some sort of experience with a loved one or then themselves who's been a part of or been connected to someone who's walked through an abortion. In 2019 is the first sermon I ever preached on abortion. And again, you've heard me say I am I, one for being bold. Uh, I, I don't really get nervous when it comes to sermons or like intense things. I get a little bit more anxious, kind of ready to do it. But on this Sunday, the reason it was so heavy for me was because I knew I was going to have to get up in front of people who I know walked through this. And I didn't want to put any sort of guilt or shame on anyone who's walked through this. Are you with me? So I'm out in the hallway, and of course, I'm talking to people and doing what I do out there. And I'm talking, but then I came in, and I came to my seat. And all of a sudden, my Apple Watch just started going crazy. And I was like, what's going on with my watch? And I looked at my watch, and it was giving me a warning because my heart rate had jumped all the way up to about 170. 
jumped up to 178. It was like, it's, that's like my workout heart rate. It was like, it's going crazy and it's going, and, if, and it, I, I did that not because I was nervous to share the sermon. It's because with what I wanted to say, I wanted it to be said with such grace and love and compassion for somebody who's maybe walked through that. So I want to talk to you just for a minute. I want to let you know what the Bible says to you who's maybe walked through this or walked somebody through this. Because maybe you were pressured to do it. Maybe you didn't even feel like you had much of a choice. But the Bible is very clear about how God's heart is and what he feels for you today. Amen. Those of you watching online, too, I want you to hear this Uh, scripture says this. Uh, Scripture says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory. Do you know that if you're somebody who's participated in an abortion, do you know that you didn't miss the mark further than any one of us? Your sin is not greater than anybody else's sin. One of the things I was so intense about is I was just like, I didn't know how people would react. Those that walked through that, I wasn't sure how they would react. And they came up to me, tears in their eyes. I said, Pastor, Thank you so much for talking about it. I sit in service after service, and I hear pastors preach how the one who's in sexual immorality sins are forgiven, how the addict's sins can be forgiven, how anger can be forgiven, but no pastor ever mentions how someone who's walked through an abortion can be forgiven. And so I sit here and I wonder, are my sins greater? Do I have the unforgivable sin? And so for us to get up and talk about it, they were so grateful and so thankful. And I hope that you hear that today, too, that your sin is no greater than anybody else's. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory. But you might say this. You might say, no, but pastor, I shed innocent blood. I shed innocent blood. I can't believe that I did that. And the innocence of a young child. And listen, can I tell you something watching online and watching in this room? I have shed the most innocent blood. Everybody in this room has shed the most innocent blood. The scripture tells us that it was our sins that caused Christ to go to the cross and shed his perfect blood. We've all shed more innocent blood than anybody who's had an abortion has shed blood. Are you with me today? It's a good place to say amen, church. Let people know they're loved. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory. We've all shed the most innocent blood. But thank God for grace. Thank God that's not the end of the story. And here's what I want you to know today. If you're someone who's walked through that or been affected by this, this sermon is not here to judge you. This sermon is actually here to love you. You're not here by accident. You're not here to be shamed or to be judged. You're here because God wants to heal and comfort you today. Can I get an amen? Romans chapter eight, verse one says this, therefore there is now no condemnation, none, not like a little bit. We're going to, we're going to kind of make you like maybe a B grade. Not, not, no, there's no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives us life has set you free from the law of sin and death. How many are grateful to be set free from our sin? And that means everybody. So today, if you've walked through that, today is about this church coming alongside you. This church is alongside you. This church doesn't judge you. This church doesn't push you aside. This church doesn't call you a mess up and, oh, we got to fix you up. This is a church that's come alongside you. This is a church that is designed to love you and comfort you and even believe that there's healing for you. And I'm going to go as far as to say we so much believe in that, that we're even willing. You come to me and say, Pastor, I need help and I need healing in this area. We want to pay for your counseling in this. Shoot me an email. We'll get you hooked up with a great counselor, somebody who can walk you through healing because God's design is for you to be set free. Can I get an amen? This is what the Lord, this is what the Lord gave me. I didn't preach this in 2019. God just showed me this. But he really wants somebody to hear this. You say, I know I'm forgiven forgiven of my sin. And I can't believe that I did that. And and I'm regretful. And you might have remorse or it might be so long ago. But you know that that was a part of your life. And you say, ah, I'm glad that I'm forgiven. but, but, But that's it. That's all that God can use me. And I'm actually here to read you this verse that I believe God gave me because God wants to start something in somebody who's walked through this. Not so that you can stay on the sidelines, so that then God can use you to turn what the enemy meant for evil to good, okay? Here's the amazing thing about experience. Experience gives you strength. If you've had an experience in something, it gives you an advantage. Uh, This is a terrible example, but uh, I went and played a golf course before I play it with my buddies, so that they've never played it before. So when I go out and play it with them, I've already played it. I know all the tricks and turns. I got the advantage because I have the experience. When it comes to us defending and praying for the unborn, you who've walked through that, 
You have experience in that. I believe it gives you strength in your prayer life and your compassion life and your advantages. Are you with me today? That's why Mark chapter 11, verse 24 says this. Therefore, I say unto you, whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. I'm here to tell you this. If you've walked through this, if you've had this experience, when you pray, you're going to pray with a greater compassion. You're going to pray with a greater desire. Why? Because you walk through that experience. You, when you pray, have an advantage. Can I get an amen today? So I'm here to build you up and encourage you. The scripture says, I forget the former things and I reach ahead what God has for me. Reach ahead knowing that you have an advantage. Can I get an amen today? So we stand for life because God forms life. I'm going to give us just three quick points, but here's why we stand for life. Uh, and, and hopefully in 10 minutes I can, I can wrap it up. I, I know we'll be a little bit over. But here's why we stand for life. We stand for life because I believe God forms life. God is the designer. He has a way for all things. The designer of this microphone. If I needed to know something about this microphone, of course I could go to Doug and he could probably give me most of the answers. But the designer of this microphone would be like, oh yeah, here's how it works. Da, 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 Cause I designed it and I formed it. Anytime we want to know about what God has for our life, we need to look at, go to the designer. You go to the creator. He says, oh yeah, this is how you live and this is how it works. Well, we believe that God formed us and he designed us. Amen. Amen. Jeremiah chapter one, verse five says this, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. While we're in the womb, he's talking about how God views us and sees us and interacts with us even in the womb. Northwestern just did a study and they found what happens under a microscope when an when a egg is fertilized. So at the moment of conception, at the moment of this becoming one, there is this explosion of zinc atoms, billions of them, essentially booming into light. Just like in Genesis, isn't it amazing that the beginning of life is let there be light? Just like in Genesis, the beginning of it all, God said, let there be light. Can I get an amen today? It happens on the inside. Why? Because I believe that God starts life at conception there. I wrote it down like this. God is the ultimate artist. Only he can paint the heartbeat. We're smart. We can create. We can do a whole lot of things. But God is the one who paints and starts a heartbeat. I believe that God is mighty in creation. We see that in Genesis. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, it says this. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance for us to do. God created us. He formed us. He's got plans for us. And it's his expectation that we walk them out. Amen. What God creates, we value. What we value is shown by our actions. What God creates, we're called to value. What we value is shown by our actions. And the church needs to do a much better job valuing the unborn. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 17 says this, Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless and plead for the widow. This is how we take care of what God values. We take care of the orphan, the unborn, the widow, those in poverty. That's why we have an outreach center. That's why we feed kids who go hungry on weekends. Why? Because it's God's mission for us to take care of those who can't take care of themselves. James 1.27 says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to know all the worship songs on Joy FM, to have all your good devotions and never miss book study. No, Perfect religion, pure and faultless, is this, to look after the orphans and the widow in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Valuing what God values, and God values his creation. Scripture said in Jeremiah, before we were born, I formed you. Before you were born, I had plans for you. Before you were born, I appointed you. He forms us, knows us, and has plans for us. So point number one we got to look at is this, God formed us. God is the one who forms us, and life matters to him. He said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. God forms life before birth. Life does not happen at first breath. Life happens in the womb. Luke chapter 1, verse 41, the story says that Mary and Elizabeth, they're best friends. 
Elizabeth is carrying John the Baptist. Jesus is in the womb of Mary. Of course, the scripture says that they see each other in town. They're best friends. They begin to, scripture says, share truths. They're, they're prophesying. They're declaring over each other. They're sharing the good news of God. They're, they're, they're speaking well over each other. And the scripture says this, that the babies in the womb, this is Luke chapter 141, says that they both begin to leap with excitement. And the scripture says that John the Baptist is filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, no, the Holy Spirit wouldn't indwell some glob of cells, something. What is it? It was a life that heaven acknowledged in Luke 141. Can I get an amen? The Bible is not ambiguous about the value of life in the womb. It's not a gray area. He's constantly there for every stage. We know that God is forming in huge numbers. From conception to birth, the statisticians say that 130 octillion things need to happen from conception to birth in order for you to get here. 130 octillion things all need to come in perfect alignment. I mean, you know, God's hand is on it the whole time. You, not, you may not be planned, but God's hand is on your life. Amen? 130 is 130 with 27 zeros behind it. All of that has to happen for us to be here. At three weeks, the heart and the gender is developed. At six weeks, brain waves and hands are beginning to be formed. At seven weeks, the baby can move their head. At eight weeks, it can lock its fingers together and rest. At week nine, it can suck its thumb. At week 10, uh, it begins to yawn. Before birth, God is forming. He's painting with a brush that only he can, and his creation should be protected. Psalm 139, 13 says this, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, so they ought to be protected. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. It says, verse 16, you saw my unformed body. All the days were ordained for me were written in your book, not until one of them came to be. You wrote all of these before they ever came to be. I mean, no, the scripture is saying that God grows and forms and blesses even in the embryo stages. Life in the womb matters to God. I looked up a bunch of different creations. Uh, the samurai sword known as the katana, the really cool samurai swords. Uh, it takes 15 men, six months to create that thing perfectly. And they guard and protect it. And they're serious about its environment and what can be around it. Uh, the Sagrada Familia, which is a temple in Barcelona, Spain. They're putting together 560 feet tall, these beautiful spheres and things that they have on it. Uh, it started on March 19, 1882, and it will not be completed in 2000, until 2026. They've been working and forming this beautiful creation. And do you know what they do? Because that thing is so intricate and so beautiful as it's being formed, they surround it with metal detectors and cameras and there's a no-fly zone and they have security and armed guards and all this kind of stuff around it. Why? Because when something that's beautiful is being formed, it deserves protection. Can I get an amen? And we ought to do the same thing because nobody can paint a beating heart like God. We ought to protect it. The scripture says that we are his masterpiece. His crown jewel is what his creation, the human life is. But we get confused in this hour that we live. We see these spins and we hear these articles and we read all these things and we, we see all this stuff and we get confused. That's what we said last week. Daniel chapter 7, 25 says that he's going to wear out the saints. Yeah. In the last days, he's going to wear us out. How? Scripture says by changing laws in times. Times are always changing. Laws are always changing and it's going to confuse it. And so we need to guard against it. Can I get an amen? Point number two, God knows us. Jeremiah said, before you were born, he set you apart. That means he knows you. That means of all the creation, he's saying, oh, this one here, I'm going to set apart because I know it. Think about this thought. The first thought you ever had about God was not the first time he ever thought about you. That's crazy. The first time that you were like, oh, God, and you heard the gospel, or maybe you heard something, and all of a sudden this relationship with God started. No, no, your relationship with God started long ago because he's constantly thinking of you. Can I get an amen? God knows you. He sent his son to die for you so that we could know him. His desire is for us to know him, which means he wants human life to be here. Point number three is this. God has plans for us. He said, I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. God has plans for us, which means this. God had plans for that baby when it showed up on the ultrasound. When you saw that first look at that little one and that thing came up, do you know that that baby was full of plans from God? 
and it was set apart. Uh, I believe this, and it's harsh to say, but it's got to be a truth we talk about. I believe this. Abortion terminates destiny, purpose, and a calling. God has a plan and a purpose, and he set it apart. And when we terminate a life, I believe that it terminates that. I'll close with this. This is where the church has got it wrong. And this is where I want to maybe do a little bit of adjustment and correction. Scripture says that there's two ways that we operate. There's a prophetic way. There's the prophet who comes in, declares the word of truth into darkness. So comes in and tells the truth in a strong way and does this kind of stuff. But then we also see a priest. A priest is somebody who ministers grace, comes alongside and ministers with great grace and with great care. Ministers with grace. The church has been doing way too much of the shouting in terms of the prophetic. Oh, you pregnant? Get out of the church. Sinner. We've pointed fingers and we've rejected people and told them to leave. We've done way too much of the harsh and not enough of the, you're welcome here. I love you. We're not going to let you fail. We're going to make sure that you make it. Are you with me? The church is called to speak prophetically, but it's also called to speak priestly. I do believe that we're living in an hour that glorifies death, destruction, darkness. One scripture says that watch out for how you talk because the way that you talk at and go at each other, you're going to rip each other both up until both are gone. You guys are just going to kill each other. I believe we live in that hour. But if we can be the church that comes along and says, hey, we're not going to go at each other. Instead, we're going to priestly give grace and love one another. That's the design that God gave us. Amen. It's time we stop regurgitating our favorite political figures, catchphrases, and we start just speaking the word of God with grace and love and truth and show dignity. We, um, my last point, a couple years ago, we went to Henry Ford Museum. We took the kids for like a couple days over to Detroit. <laughs> Supposed to be <laughs> like a fun, hey, we're going to go to the zoo. We're going to go to the museum. And uh, we took them to the Rosa Parks area uh, in the museum. We didn't realize it would hit our kids this way. But it's a very intense kind of little area, and uh, they're kind of going through some of the history uh, when it comes to racism in America and different things like that. And, of course, Rosa Parks' story is amazing. But they had a whole case uh, of uh, the Ku Klux Klan history in America, and it had newspaper articles, like re- real things. And so my, my daughter's mind, uh, I think she's like seven or eight at this time, she's, she just couldn't believe that these things and lynchings and these things were like in newspapers that you could get at, at gas stations. And she started to get real just like scared and upset. And uh, at that time, the neighbor girl was like her best friend and she was biracial. And so Caroline's going like, oh, my gosh, I I can't believe that this happened in America. and We treated people this way. And if you go through the museum, you would see there was a room that they set up that had segregation, right? Colored people, water, it said, and, you know, this and people couldn't be together and there was dividers. And and of course, we get to the bus and, you know, the whole Rosa Parks story. But it... (coughs) It rattled our kids. Honestly, I was like, like a little bit annoyed because I was like, oh, we planned this whole thing. And, and now you guys are really upset. And, and uh, I remember at one point, Jess was kind of talking to Caroline. And Charlie is our processor. He's my middle aged kid. He's my son. So he's hearing all of these things and literally seeing all these things. And he pulls me aside and we're walking and we're looking at everything. He says, Dad, what would you have done at that time? Like, what would you have done, Dad? Because he's hearing some people believed this and some people believed this. So he's like, Dad, Dad, what would you have done? And I'm like, honest answer is like, son, I, I don't actually know what I, I know what I would do now. Like if you put me back there now, I know what I would do. But in that time, you don't know. As a white person in that era, like who knows? We don't know how we would answer what we would do. I said, son, I don't know. But here's what I do know, Charlie. We have the Bible, and it tells us what we can do and what we should do in these times. Charlie, I'm so glad that like, we can just look at the Bible, and we can get our absolute truth, and we don't have to wonder, because the only thing that we have to live accountable to is God's word and God. Are you with me? And so I said, buddy, we would pray, and we would do what the Bible tells us to do, and that's what we would do in that time. So as unusual as it is to think, oh, what would we do back then? My question to you is, what are you going to do right now in this moral tragedy that we face? You're living in a historic moment. 
Are you going to stay silent? Are you going to stay weak? Are you going to stay hid back in the corner? Are you going to just shelter in place? Or are you going to be somebody who says, no, this is what God's word says, and this is what we need to do about it. This is what God's word says, and this is how we need to be praying about it. Can I get amen? I don't give. I don't care about being on the right side of popularity. I love you all. I love people I interact with on Facebook and all over the place. I'm a people person. But at the end of the day, I don't care what you think about what I declare as God's truth and your opinion of it. You know why? Because when I get to heaven, I don't stand before you. I don't stand before social media pressure. I don't stand before culture pressure. I don't stand before anything. I got to stand before the Lord and give an account for what I've done for the unborn. And how I cared for the widow and the orphan and the single mom who has an unplanned pregnancy. That's what I'm subject to. Can I get an amen? Proverbs chapter 24, verse 11 says this, rescue those. Amen. Do you think about rescuing on a daily basis? Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this. I didn't know. I didn't pay attention. I don't watch Fox News. I'm not on the internet. No, you know. You know the time that we're living in. Then yeah. it says this says, doesn't he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does he not? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay everyone according to what they've done? The message version is even better. Rescue the perishing because they're perishing by the millions. Don't hesitate to step in and help. If you say, hey, that's none of my business. It's a women's rights issue. Will that get you off the hook? Someone is watching you so closely, you know, someone not impressed with weak excuses. Come on, we can do better. And it's not finger pointing. It's not sharing sarcastic memes. It's not shouting out in arrogance. It's being a priestly church that can say, we got you. I'm not going to let you. This is the place for you. Every single person that I know of that's either come up to me after a sermon or talk to me on the side has said this, when I went through my unplanned pregnancy, the last place that I ever thought to go and share this was the church. Because in church, I would feel judgment and rejection and I would get scriptures beat over my head. And all I needed at that time was help. Let's be a church that helps. Let's be a church that steps in with the priestly anointing and says, we got you. We're gonna make sure that you make it. So that's why we've partnered with an amazing organization we have now for a few years called Positive Options. You're going to hear a little bit more about them next month, and you'll hear a little bit more about them in September. Uh, as a matter of fact, about two months ago, before the overturning of Roe v. Wade, uh, we had about 30, 25 to 30 local pastors up in our second floor sanctuary. Uh, I put together a meeting to have these pastors come and learn and hear what can we do with this moral tragedy that we're facing. This was before the overturning, and how can we as churches... And they're all the churches you would know in our area came and said, hey, we have got to do better as a church to walk in love. And so God is on the move in this area. Listen, you're talking about prayers all the way back to the Roe v. Wade. This has been years of prayers that God is now answering with a great outpouring. We want to be in that momentum. Can I get an amen? And uh, and so you're going to hear a bunch more about it. But but the way that you can do it now is pray, 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 pray the price. God answers prayers. Amen. And if you are interested in that, you can text the word serve. If you want to know now, like, hey, get me in on that. I want to be able to help someone walking through an unplanned pregnancy. You can text the word serve to the number there on the screen. It's a great group of people, and um, you're going to love it. But let me pray for you, and I encourage you, if God puts it on your heart to share this message with somebody, do it in a very loving way. Even as you reshare the page, make sure you share it in a way that's full of compassion and grace and love. And um, we don't want to finger point and judge and be sarcastic. Um, Amen? Let me, let's pray. God, we love you so much. We're so grateful for the way that you love us and lead us. God, we thank you that you gave us your truth. Your ways are higher than ours. And God, we want to pursue those. God, I pray for anybody who's wrestling with this topic in this category, in this area, however they may be affected. God, I pray that you show yourself to them. Lord, I pray that you even uncover the lies, tear down the strongholds, and bring your perfect peace God, I pray that you give everybody a passion to defend what you form. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.